En Frederik. En Frederik. Welcome to Scream of the Franchise. The podcast that is horror-themed for this month that discusses franchises of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, genres, and frights. <laughs> <laughs> I am your... One of your ghosts here, Count Damula, here with my co-ghost, Fred Dick and Igor. Yes, Master. Fred, you may pick your own nickname. <laughs> How about them bones, Dakin? <laughs> How about them bones, Dakin? All right, enough of that nonsense, but Fred... Very excited to be here with you today. This is a big episode for us. It is. It's our third consecutive spooky episode, which is a big deal. Are you counting the one that we almost lost? (laughs) (laughs) We don't talk about it. (laughs) It is, though. You are correct. This is our sequel to our Halloween episode um, from last year as well. So not only is this the third spooky theme episode this month, but it's also... The second in a franchise. Ooh, using <laughs> the name of the podcast. Yeah, add a little call in there. But Fred, um, while we are going to be focusing a lot on Halloween and horror sequels today, it's a milestone episode. More like a tombstone episode. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. It is, in fact, episode 50 of State of the Franchise. That's a lot of episodes. It is a ton of episodes. Fred, I mean, while it's weird to say that out loud, I couldn't be more happy to have done it with anybody else. I really appreciate it. I appreciate that everything that you do to make this work. I just remember the first episode we recorded, Dragon Ball Z with Joe Francisco. I had two towels wrapped around a microphone. <laughs> like We were dealing with crazy tech issues, new equipment but we don't have those issues anymore we don't have tech issues anymore no we're like three different microphones in we're like on our second different sound recording device (laughs) i mean we've come a long way and it's been a great journey so far we have covered plenty of spooky episodes it's no it's no secret that we are fans of the halloween season (laughs) you just went into a little dracula right there max and you're like it's no secret (laughs) it is no secret fred it is in fact something you could sink your teeth into <laughs> I I didn't mean to do it, but maybe I'm going to be getting there tonight. It, there's something in the air you can feel that that, that in the ether, right? Mm-hmm. But Fred, I mean, it, it's been 50 episodes, and I think it's been a great time, great run. Um, we have a lot of exciting stuff that I think we'll talk about at the end of the episode to unveil for you guys in the new year. But you know, to to really get us going today. We did have a segment that we always like to do when we have the availability to do it, and that is a talkback segment. Ooh, I like it. So for our 50th episode today, Fred, we threw out a mailbag uh, inquiry to our fans and had them write in uh, anything that was on their mind, whether it was a comment or a question. So I'd like to read a couple right now. This first one comes from Jasmine, and it goes like this. Yay, pod! Happy birthday, Fred. What? (laughs) I wasn't expecting this. It's actually three reasons we have a big episode today. One, it's Halloween and it's our second annual Halloween episode. Two, it's our 50th episode. But three, and most importantly, it is Fred's birthday. Happy birthday, Fred. Thank you so much. And again, you sounded like another vampire. You sounded like the Count. (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, like the count from Sesame Street? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> That's kind of my default, I feel like, Dracula or vampire impression. Because like, mm-hmm. everybody knows the count. Everybody loves the count. But it is, in fact, your birthday. Um, and, yeah, this is a great way to celebrate. While it is Halloween, the day that people are listening to this, we know that your your birthday is a long celebration. <laughs> yep, yep. I like to stretch it out. I always moved around a lot. So, like, seeing family members from different places, all of October is, like, my birthday all the way up to November 1st. So just enjoy everyone. I mean, look, we, we have no issues celebrating because it does kind of feel like we're celebrating the season, right? And, and we went for a little low-hanging fruit with our uh, impressions earlier. <laughs> low-hanging fruit? That's the time of year for that because it's uh, apple picking season. Indeed, indeed it is apple picking season. Going to the pumpkin patch and grabbing yourself a pumpkin. It's also like corn maze season. I mean... We did see a corn maze um, the other day. My fiance and I went to Elegant Farmer, and she's like, I'm not a fan of corn mazes. Just doesn't like the feeling of being in a corn maze. Mm. Don't like being disoriented. I get that. And it's also like corn maze. Aren't you just saying the same thing twice? Yeah. <laughs> Especially because we are, uh, and we recognize we are on Native American land. <laughs> it was very accurate to say. It all is. It all is. All of America is. But speaking of my fiance, getting back to her email, this did come from previous guest, Jasmine. Uh, she said, happy belated birthday to Tom as well. So she recognized me too. Uh, yes. And happy 50th episode to State of the Franchise. Thanks for building a beautiful little corner of the world where people can so openly and joyfully nerd out about their favorite things together. It's always a delight to listen. Here's to another 50 episodes. Ah, I like that. Yeah, thank you so much, Jasmine. We really appreciate your support and everybody else's, honestly. I mean, it's been it's been fun. It's been almost two years. We're not quite at the two-year anniversary, but we're getting close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I could see us going for a lot longer, Fred. Oh, yeah. I want to be ancient. I want to not know my name when still doing this podcast. I just want to outlast all the other like big podcasts. Like when Marin finally hangs up and be like, you know what? Marin may be done, but we're still here. <laughs> and then we'll get to ask people who their guys are. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, who you guys are? <laughs> who are your sequels? Yeah, who are your sequels? Speaking of sequel, we have a second email that came in. Oh. This one is from Nick S., also a previous guest on the podcast. Nick says I have got a question. It's for the one with the handsome voice. Mm. It's got to be me. It's got to be you, Fred. (laughs) It's your birthday today. And this is a very birthday-themed question. What's your favorite kind of cake? Well, I'll try to answer in a nice nice voice for him. Okay. Well, Nick, I, uh, you know, I used to love red velvet cake, but nowadays... I'm more of a carrot cake guy. Mm. I know people are like, vegetables, cake, what are you doing? But I'm telling you, like, I think it's some of the best cake out there. And it still has the cream cheese frosting. I still am sticking with that. I mean, I think that's really what ties it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the earth with the cream. Yeah. Oh, carrot cake is a very interesting choice. Was it always carrot cake or is that a more recent development? This is very recent. This okay. is like within the year. I think cake just started as you get older. I think sweets, cake. Especially like cake from like a grocery store, a birthday mm. cake becomes less delicious, at least for me. Like it's too just sugar on sugar. I think there's a lot going on with a really good carrot cake. Mm, 
I mean, I do like a good carrot cake. So Nick says, I have a, a follow-upper. I'm putting that in quotations, Mark. A follow-upper to that last question. What's a good beverage that you would use to complement that cake? And would you be thinking something hot or cold? Ooh, so I, I would love to get, and I never do this, but... I, I love the idea of getting like a hot cappuccino, mm. like going to a restaurant, they bring out the dessert tray and an option is carrot cake. And then you get that with like a cap, a cappuccino. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. It does sound like a really nice pairing because carrot cake is kind of, it's not overly sweet. So, and neither is coffee. So you're almost kind of like getting a couple things that balance everything very well. Yeah. I like balance. Yeah. Balance, young Skywalker. Mm-hmm. That's the worst Obi Wan I could have ever done. Yeah, but Star Wars, a lot of sequels, a lot of sequels in Star Wars. That's for sure. Nick concludes his email for the other guy. What do you think about that answer? And that's it. I also like carrot cake, Fred. But if I'm going to have cake with coffee, I think I'm going to have to go for something like tiramisu. It's Ooh. a very Italian feel to have coffee with cake. That's what I wanted to say. And, I mean, it, it's the perfect pairing, and it's got ladyfingers in it. Very spooky. Very spooky to have ladyfingers in it. It's it's just, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge cake person to begin with, but if I am going to have cake, a tiramisu is also kind of something that's not overly sweet. It gets very kind of got like that bitter coffee taste, and mm, just kind of goes down nice. Have a nice cappuccino on the side, and whew, you were coffeeed up for the night. That sounds delicious. <laughs> it's honestly very good. I'm I'm a big fan of it. I'm hoping to have some more carrot or not. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to have more carrot cake, but I'm also hoping to have more tiramisu soon. A couple cakes that are underrated. Speaking of underrated, though, Fred, we are here to talk about horror sequels, which, while they are a bit of a mixed bag, they are a bit underrated. Yes, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad that comes with horror sequels, and. I think you can also look at a horror franchise and see how it develops with how it changes with their sequels. That's true. So I guess where is somebody like your first exposure to horror sequels? I mean, I know you're a big horror guy in general. You like your movies, especially in and outside of the Halloween time. But I mean, are you somebody that will pursue sequels or do you just kind of start with the original and stop there? I think it depends how much I like the origins of the franchise. Like, I do not have Mm. to necessarily finish anything that I start. I don't have to watch all the entries. But if, like, a movie like Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street, if that's something that hits, I do kind of want to see all the iterations and how they continue the story or the lore. I like horror lore. I like the backstory of, like, how things got bad in these stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, and lore is an interesting thing with horror movies, too, because it's one of the few genres I feel like you can take the story as far as it needs to go, right? It's very much like sci-fi in that regard, where you can tell a lot of, like, real-world type stories through a horror movie, like 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 Night of the Living Dead, right? There's a lot of social commentary in that. Uh, I know we've talked about that at length last year on the Halloween episode, too, but... I think when you do get into the lore and maybe where some of these sequels fall into trouble, they get really crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot like improv where you have people adding all these components and all these spinning plates. And it's like, how well can you continue to spin these things and keep your story afloat with all these new ideas? Yeah. 
And it's, it's some do it very successfully and they have stories to tell, but at the same end, I think, yeah, there are things that go nuts. Like I think of like saw too, like how I not saw two, but yes, the movie, mm-hmm. cause it had to already try to add on to a crazy first movie, but the rest of the saw franchise has been just kind of bonkers. <laughs> like, right. Mm-hmm. No. And it's like, I'm not a big gore guy, but I'm very curious. Yeah. Like, I do kind of want to know, like, where that series goes, considering that uh, 10 just came out to, like, reasonably be good reviews. Like, people like this movie. Well, I think it's like when somebody has a story to tell that's very fitting for a franchise, it's going to work because they have that perspective they're bringing. But when you want to put Jason in space in like Friday the Thirteenth Ten or whatever, it careful, is. Jason X, pretty cool. Is it though? David Cronenberg's in it. So <laughs> you like him? I like Cronenberg. He's a weird body boy. He is. He's he's a body horror man. He hasn't made any sequel. Did he make the Fly Two? No. Okay, I'm like because that's not one I really want to talk fly about. Two, fly Two still swatting. Yeah, still. <laughs> fly One though remake. Well, there are you saying there? Oh yeah, it's a old movie. It's like old monster. Movie, yeah, right? it is. Which I think maybe had its own sequel, but I don't know. I'll have to look that one up. Fly to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> it should be that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm definitely somebody who's a fan of like if I am going to go revisit a horror franchise, I'm content to stop at the first one and be like, this is the story I wanted to to encounter. And it was an interesting challenge going and then bouncing off our last episode on Scream because I think in my brain, I was like, I don't need anything else from the Scream franchise anymore. I've seen a lot of sequels that I didn't really love. But then when I revisited, I was like, oh, two is actually very good. And then revisiting five, I was like, I like that movie way better than I remembered. Mm-hmm. And it's now like, I feel like I would have normally just been like, I'm just going to watch Scream 1. I'm going to be done. But now might be rewatching a few of those more often. Yeah. You might even ro- watch Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Uh, maybe not that far. <laughs> I did rewatch Scream 6 the other day. That still sucks. <laughs> you should have watched Halloween 2. H2. Well, I think H2 or H2O. H2. Oh, yeah, yeah. H2O, though. H2O, though. Was, like, the first requel. Mm-hmm. A, a, uh, if we can talk about a past episode, a direct reaction to the Kevin Williamson style, for sure. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a very much indebted to Scream. It H2. is. H2. H2O. H2O. Halloween H2O, yes. very Yeah, because it does have the same feel of, like, a Scream movie, especially because it's got Hartnett in it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to kind of take us back a little bit, Fred, I wanted to sort of explore the origins of, like, horror sequels, because one of the first horror sequels, and I didn't want to get too far back, because... Truthfully, one of the very first scary sequels that is ever, and one of the first sequels ever, was the sequel to Birth of a Nation, but we don't need to talk about that. The first one was scary enough. Exactly. We don't need to get get into that. It's not a movie worth exploring. (laughs) But what we do have is a movie called The Gollum. And this movie came out back in 1914. It's a very strange movie about a living stone golem that comes to life and goes on a murder rampage that's uh, i believe from jewish folklore yes correct and it's so it was very much inspired by that but then also inspired by that 
it spawned a prequel and a sequel in the following years. One that was called How the Golem Came to Be. Which is very on the nose. <laughs> Sounds like a like a children's book, like a Baron, Berenstein Bears thing. <laughs> Berenstein or Berenstein? Berenstein. Mm, you know about this? I know it's a thing, but I thought mine. I thought the bear. I think it's all about the extra Berenstein, right? It, it's the way it's spelled is Berenstein, S T A I N. But we all remember it as Berenstein because it's one of the examples of Mandela effect that everybody has kind of like taken the they've kind of like watered it down over time. So it's Berenstein. But Berenstein, like, I don't know. That sounds like what you call like your dirty underwear. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's kind of it's funny that it's like a Berenstein. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it, I mean, I was just reading about the Mandela effect recently because I was still trying to remember if that Mandela uh, was in prison or not. <laughs> always wondering if he did that. Um, it's not if he was in prison; it's if he died in prison, right? Yes, that's the that's the origin of the Mandela effect. But yeah, I think the <laughs> the the most popular example, I mean, are like movie quotes. Like it's like it never says Luke, I am your father. It's it's like no, I am your father is the actual quote. E.T. never says E.T. phone home. He says, like, E.T. home phone or something like that. I'm going to grab another beer. That was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the Gollum uh, spawned two sequels. But then one of the first big horror sequels, Fred, and probably the first example of a horror sequel that um, outdid even the original, potentially, is The Bride of Frankenstein came out four years after Frankenstein. Yes, definitely. This is a uh, one that I think this is like one of the few instances where the sequel uh, is more popular and also better than the original for like a horror sequel. Right. And it has an injection of uh, auteurism, is that a word? Yeah. Where it uh, has the director kind of injecting his worldviews into the movie which I, whereas the first one's kind of more of just a straight up horror monster picture. Yeah. But no, you're right. And it really does add to the lore a lot more of the Frankenstein story because we start to learn that Frankenstein can actually form words, right? Mm-hmm. And that like he has like unique feelings. I mean, we knew that Frankenstein felt and he was under misunderstood, but it's like now he's actually able to verbalize these things. <laughs> yeah, we learn he's lush. Yeah. We learn he likes to smoke. <laughs> yeah. But it is a weird movie, and it's so funny that it did get as popular. Because like one of the things that sticks in my head is like you have the guy who plays Van Helsing in the Dracula movies, and he like came back and like he's doing like uh, Professor Frankenstein's mentor. And he's got like little people in a jar. Right. It's just such a weird role. There's a lot of camp in this movie. Yes, definitely. I would say uh, the the servant lady who works for Frankenstein is a great injection of camp. And that is the first time you kind of see these like pitch the top characters in a horror setting. Uh, I do really like two, but I do want to say one has some of the, my favorite shots. Like it, one of my favorite opening classic a universal monster movie shot is uh, Frankenstein, the doctor and Igor watching a burial procession happening, knowing that they're watching to 
exhume the body and do with it what they will. And there's a great canted angle like shot of Frankenstein Igor watching them just like waiting to like dive in and take care of this body. And there's also a great uh, over like it's a high up ceiling shot of when Frankenstein is uh, trying to be subdued by the doctor and his the guy who's coming to help him. He's like another doctor, like a colleague. Yeah. And it's this great tracking movement shot that goes from right to left and shows so much action. And he still topped it in the second one with even more action, more story beats, and more character death. Yeah, well, there's so much darkness in those movies that, I mean, we see child murder. We see, like, people... That's just a swimming lesson gone wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Suppose, if you want to frame it that way. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely... There's very, like, dark things for 1931, 1935, and... I mean, there's something so jarring about the end of Bride of Frankenstein. Like, it's burned in your brain. Like, when the bride comes out and you expect it to be like, oh, here she is. She's going to get along perfectly with the monster. And she just screams and is like, hates it. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, this buildup is like the ultimate, like, twist at the right. end. I'm like, Shyamalan was blushing probably watching that. <laughs> <laughs> I also appreciate, though, that horror movies... And I mean, movies in general, pretty much between the 30s and the 80s, like just had the gall to end and not really give you a mm-hmm. whole lot to think about after it. You're like, this is the story we're telling. Done. So you're watching The Lost Boys recently. And I was like, OK, now we're going to get the whole epilogue of the story. And I was like, nope, get a one liner from Grandpa and then roll credits. <laughs> I love the Lost Boys, and I almost messaged you today about the Lost Boys, which is so funny you, you brought that up. I was typing, and I was like, how do you feel about Lost Boys? Matter of fact, how do you feel about the song from the Lost Boys? The song from the Lost Boys? Okay, this this one, is that the one with like the children chanting in the background? Yes. <laughs> okay. Maybe I, it's by the 69 Eyes? Is that the band? I'll, I'll have to look at it. What's the name of the song? We should probably play play some clips. Cry Little Sister. Cry Little Sister. Let me pull this up. We can maybe get a little sample of it. I wish the listeners could see me singing. Oh, this is all throughout the movie. Hell too. yeah. And it's just like these great shots of the boardwalk in uh, Santa Cruz. Yeah. Oh, man. What about that hot sax guy just going to town? The oh, shirtless sax player. Cracking up at that. <laughs> that was so funny. Because he's just like the most 80s looking dude ever. And he's just like playing his sax in between his song. I mean... Lost Boys, another movie that did spawn sequels that I have never seen. Probably won't watch. I watched one of them, but yeah, it's like they got the two Corys. And this was like right before Corey Haim died, yeah. I think. Like, it, it, it is a rough one. Yeah. And was, that's the only connective tissue. Right. I mean, that was the time when everybody was obsessed with like, the two Corys, don't you miss them? Don't you wish they would make more movies? And then, I mean, God bless Corey Feldman for going out and just trying stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hey, he's here to just make a career. I mean, what's he got to lose at this point? I hope not a lot. Yeah, I hope not <laughs> either. No, I mean, because he's a king of like horror, like movies and sequels. He is in um, 
one of he's young Jason or something. No, he's a young boy in one of the Friday Thirteenth that Jason is like coming after. Or something. Oh, really? Mm, not, one not, of the later ones. Not Jason X, is it? <laughs> Jason X is fun. It's in space, and he's got a machete. What's what? What else do you need? <laughs> this is an example of like horror franchises that go too long and go too mm. weird. <laughs> but I will say that is a movie that if you watch it now, you may not think it's good. It knows what it is. It knows it's a campy movie, which at the time, like, I don't think people were cool with. Like, they were like, oh, cool. Jason's going to be in space. There's probably going to be a Limp Biscuit song. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then they watched it. It's like super over the top, campy, goofy. Yeah. And I actually really enjoy watching it. I mean, listen, I'm not here to yuck anyone else's yum. I just know when I saw the trailers for Jason X, I realized that was not a movie I was going to see. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you're going to watch a late period Friday the 13th, I would recommend watch Jason Lives. And uh, one of the opening shots of Jason Lives is a James Bond spoof. It's the sniper, I whatever you want to call it, scope going across the uh the frame of the picture and it has jason walking and then he throws his machete at the screen oh come on that's actually fun that's fun like <laughs> the is. movie knows where what it's doing at that point and like the kills are like i don't like gore but they're fun gore like inventive yeah and tongue-in-cheek yeah no for sure i think there's there's examples of horse sequels that have gone fun and they work. Like, I think we can talk about something like Nightmare on Elm Street and how it really, I mean, even the first one doesn't quite feel like it's out and out just horror. There's still comedic elements to Freddy. Definitely. Because I think Robert England does such an awesome job with that character, but then they continue to lean into it more and more. But those first two sequels, I think, are pretty good examples of just taking the right things from the first movie and trying something. Two is a little underrated. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was telling you there's a great documentary about, two how the writer at the time was struggling with uh, being gay in Hollywood at the time. And oh, he put wow. a lot of that into the movie. And if you rewatch it, you can totally see it. Yeah. Like it's definitely got a lot of um, metaphors and like shots that are like, oh, this is like about being closeted and there's this and that. And that's why I think it's an interesting movie. It's not one I go back to, but then I'd say three through five, three through five are really fun and interesting, especially three. Yeah. Well, three, I think is another one that has a banger of a soundtrack and Fred, it's a song that I actually want to play for you now because the name of the band that sings that song or plays that song is called Dokken, which has come up on this podcast before. Oh, good. I get residuals on this one. Yeah, exactly. So maybe not quite the way you pronounce your name. <laughs> it's D-O-K-K-E-N. But um, Dream Warriors is the name of the song and the movie, and it is a banger of a song. Also, Dokken, which I brought up before I said on the podcast, their other song that they are more well-known for is called In My Dreams. Mm -hmm. So maybe a precipice to getting this little, like, in with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Do they sing Dreamweaver? They do not sing that. That's Gary Newman. Yeah. Uh, But this is Dream Warriors by Dokken. This 
music video slaps too. He has kicked clips from the movie. A lot of it's just Patricia and Cat walking around looking lost. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. No, she was a cutie back in the 80s. Yeah. This is a good jam. It's just a classic, like, I, I think we, we saw it before in that other song from uh, Lost Boys, even though it didn't have Lost Boys in the name, but there was something about having a very good theme song for your movie in the 80s and 90s. We talked a little bit about that in the Batman episode, which is fitting that we're kind of revisiting all this mm-hmm. on our 50th episode. Yeah, and I think two things that those songs that we both that we played just now have in common is they inject horror stings mm-hmm. into the song. Like, um, I feel the Lost Boys song has that, which sounds very similar to the noise it makes in the Halloween yeah. score. That, you know, like yeah, these, yeah. these aren't great impressions, but like there's these little horror stings. And I think that and then the children talking or whatever that is in Dream Warriors just mm-hmm. adds this like spooky layer. It does. And it's just I mean, I have an appreciation just for the fact of like these theme songs were so on the head of like, we're going to put the movie title name in the song and you're going to buy the album. and It's going to be great. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right, though. It does such a good blend of like. Even calling back to like that first one, like one, two, Freddy's coming to you. He's like, we're the dreamers. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, very much ties back into the movie in a way. I think it's a great representation of how you go from they're kind of on the defensive in the first one. And it's sort of like here in the third one, they've kind of discovered we have a way to combat Freddy in the dreams. And yeah, it's like Inception. Yeah. It, it, great example <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it is it's such a it's such an interesting thing to see like these kids like actually be like no we're gonna be able to like beat him on his like own turf you know and i think they kind of play with that in the first and the second one but it's always kind of like how can they outsmart freddy versus like they're just like no nah, like, mm-hmm. this is my dream too i got the same power yeah the first one has a little bit at the end where it feels like home alone where she brings him out of the dream and she's got like the little like traps like Whatever she puts in the light bulb, I don't know if she just stole, like, gunpowder from her dad, who's the cop or whatever. Right. But I do love that. Yeah, I I think they do keep those, that Freddy-like humor, but one and two is definitely, like, a darker Freddy. It definitely is. And I, I don't know. I think there is something about how they're able to balance, though, the humor with the horror, because there are still scary parts in three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the scariest thing I was telling you earlier that uh, it's the first time on Elm Street I saw, and there's a scene where it's a it's a mute guy, which adds another layer because he can't scream out. Right. And in his dream, he likes making marionettes or something. I'm pretty sure it's the same character. And in his dream, Freddy comes alive as a marionette and then turns him into a marionette by his veins getting pulled out of his arm. And this is something where, like, I don't like gore, but I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, you know, because it's inventive. Yeah. And it's not, like, grating. It's gross to see and it's shocking. 
But when he's getting walked by his tendons or whatever, and Freddy's like giant all of a sudden, he's like Godzilla size. Yeah. Playing with that perspective is the stuff that even if you're going to give me an meh overall Nightmare on Elm Street movie, if you're injecting those crazy ideas, like four or five has the one where there's the Roach Motel and then she ends up in the Roach Motel and then gets stomped. That movie is not great, but throw that on in Halloween time. This is inventive, very cool stuff that, like, I can definitely get, you know, I can watch and be happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the way that Nightmare on Elm Street, I mean, and I think some of the later sequels got bad. Um, I mean, I have not seen the new uh, Nightmare, but I understand that one kind of brings it back a bit yeah i recommend you watch that because a lot of uh the ideas in scream are in new nightmare it's like interesting Wes craven's first meta attempt because it's like the stars of the first one dealing with the idea of freddie coming into the real world and like Wes craven plays a character robert england plays a character oh fine and it's very i recommend you watch it immediately okay immediately i'll be on that (laughs) um it is one I've had around. I think it's always one that is like I saw it and I'm like, but there's other horror movies I need to watch first. I'm not going to go to another Nightmare or sequel. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that Nightmare, as much as it gets crazy and they like come up with all these weird ways they have to kill Freddy. I think that's where the trap of this franchise got. It was like, how do we finally get rid of this guy? Because it's like he's just a dream. But it's because they're playing in dreams that it was able to just sort of like continue to present weird things and never felt out of bounds. Right. Delivered on the promise that Inception, a movie I love, did not. Yeah. I love Inception, but when we were told it's about dreams, I was expecting some gonzo shit. Yeah. And I didn't get that. I got a movie I liked, but... No, yeah. I think where it it also fails, though, too, is like it has to be goal-oriented, whereas in... Nightmare on Elm Street, it's like here you can present a whole like almost like a trap or an obstacle. It's course. a set piece. Yeah. Or it's set piece oriented, which you can get away with in a horror movie like this, I feel. Absolutely. And I think if you talk about set pieces, you know, it's hard not to look at how I think you, you brought up before with lore, like how things have to change from movie to movie. And that's something that Nightmare on Elm Street had a lot of fun with. But if we go back to some of the earlier sequels and we talk about something like Dawn of the Dead versus Night of the Living Dead, you know, outside of what Romero was trying to do in expanding the story, which, I mean, it's a natural thing. Here you're in just a haunted house and you're seeing these very, like, simple-minded zombies trying to get in and eat brains or whatever. But then we get to Dawn of the Dead where they're in a mall. And it's like, oh, all of a sudden the setting has changed. The The rules have changed. The world is so much bigger. And now we're seeing everybody kind of adapting to how these zombies are trying to get to you in a bigger space. Mm-hmm. And he adapts the social norms and commentary of the time to match the horror movie. Like Night of the Living Dead is very much a response to the civil rights and Dawn of the Dead is like a response to 80s capitalism and commercialism and just all of us like mindlessly spending money on shit we don't need. Right. Which I mean, and it's so funny that it even got even before that. I think Dawn of the Dead came out in 1976. Mm-hmm. So here he was already saying this stuff, you know, well before we got into this mad capitalist society. I mean, but it was already kind of taking off. But you do have, I think, one of the first examples of a big horror sequel since uh, Bride of Frankenstein after Frankenstein that 
you are seeing the world expand a little bit. And it's something we did see less successful with like Exorcist 2 Heretic. As we kind of mm-hmm. go back to our Friedkin episode. And I know you love Exorcist 3. You gotta check out Exorcist 3. You must. It's a simple, you must. Okay. I mean, now you have your platform. This is like the perfect time to talk Exorcist 3. What, what is so good about this movie? Uh, George C. Scott, Brad Dourif. <laughs> okay. uh, they bring back the the priest from the first movie in a very interesting way. Oh, Jason Scott, right? Yes. Who's not an actor. He, you know, like he was a, I think he was a playwright and he was doing stuff on like, uh, off Broadway when he got cast in Exorcist. I know you play Stacy Keach. Oh, the Keach that... man was supposed to be in there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Now I'm remembering. <laughs> yeah, and they had to like pay him out not to be in it anymore. Like it was that close. Holy cow! Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that part. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry. The guy's name is not Jason Scott. It's a uh, uh, Jason Miller. That is close enough. I mean, you know, I, I think, I don't know, I was thinking like Jason Scott Thomas. No, <laughs> Kristen Jason Scott Scottie. Thomas? I don't know. It, there's so many names. Uh, but yeah, Jason Miller. Um, also, yeah, like you said he came back in that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's an interesting thing because 2 is... is like, a very direct sequel. Unanimously, like panned like people are definitely yeah like universally panned that's not what i mean not unanimously mm-hmm. although that is i guess <laughs> unanimous <laughs> yeah two consensus. is a, two's a snore from what i watched of it three is written by the author of the exorcist uh william peter blatty and oh interesting three what i like about it is it's a detective movie in the exorcist world so it's not trying to do the same movie again it's what if this story in this world again improv yeah what about this in this how does this affect that world i guess i can definitely get down with that because you do have other horror franchises where people kind of take advantage and try to do a little genre shift of sorts because i mean we we see that with alien we see that with um you know evil dead a little bit which you can talk about in a bit but the exorcist i think you look at a story like that and even child's play with like brad duroff like it's a a different type of role for him right Oh, definitely. Uh, it's definitely he's uh, acting to the gills, as Brad Dourif does, but it's definitely a very different, less humorous role. Yeah, which I'm I'm down for. I like Brad Dourif and stuff. I know we talked about him last year and we talked about the Child's Play TV show and like the Child's Play movie at least. But I think there's something unique about the fact that he's so well known for playing this like notorious slasher doll right you don't even see his face right but like when he so when he shows up in a movie and he's just serving like (laughs) definitely he always stands out in anything that he's in yeah i mean we've seen him in what was it we've seen him in lord of the rings we've seen him in once before the cuckoo's nest that's a great role for him very he's oscar nominated role that's right he was Mm -hmm. um billy babbitt Yes, that's it. Wasn't he in something else that was pretty big? Deadwood. That's it, yes. He's the doctor on Deadwood. Oh, he's, he's great really in that good. role. Because he's like playing someone who is who studies medicine, but also like medicine is also on the brink of, you know, 
learning new things. And so he approaches like head wounds like, oh, this is interesting. This is you see this. It's like it's filling up with blood here, which is a sign. of You know, like he's very uh, intellectual as a doctor with like the new knowledge of medicine that's coming in during the Wild West. Yeah, he's curious, right? As much as he's trying to heal people. <laughs> but he's isn't he also kind of like a drunk, too, in that show? Oh, they all are. Though. Yeah. <laughs> God, so I, I need to go back to Deadwood. I've always fall off that show. Um, but I think he's a classic example, though, of somebody who you get in movies like The Exorcist, where maybe he is just sort of like, you know, his first foray. I think The Exorcist 3 was 1990. So he had done Child's Play by that point. Mm-hmm. But I think Child's Play in itself is another movie where we do kind of see the genre shift a little bit. It goes less into out and out horror. And we start getting into kind of that Nightmare on Elm Street of like horror comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's very camp, dark comedy. And it also uh, Don Mancini, who when he made the original three, I feel wasn't injecting a lot of himself into it. He was another uh, gay creator in Hollywood who wasn't able to inject the mm. things that were important to him and stuff in his life. And now in, you know, a more updated culture, he's able to do that from Bride of Chucky, which still comes out a little like schlocky and not very of the times. But if you watch the Chucky show now, he's injecting a lot of himself into it. And it's a much more interesting show, mm. whether it works as a horror thing as better as much as the original Child's Play. I don't know about that, but I think it's a much more interesting property now that he's able to give himself more into it. Kind of like Joseph Whale. Is it Joseph Whale? Oh, John. Uh, something. I know it's Whale. Oh, uh, the director of Frankenstein. Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Um, yeah, that's his name is. Oh no, I clicked on the Kenneth Branagh version. <laughs> <laughs> Great movie, should check out. I couldn't get into James Ra- Whale is the name. James of Whale, who another closet homosexual creator in Hollywood, definitely couldn't speak his mind at the time. Kind of began layering some of that into his movies. You can definitely see that with like the. Uh, the um, villain, I guess you would call him, of The Bride of Frankenstein. He's got this very vamp flamboyant nature, and a lot of historians yeah. write that back, that this is the first time Joseph Whale was putting in himself into movies and showing some of that character that he thought he was. Interesting. I didn't know anything about that. But I guess now that you say it, you can kind of see it. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's always like... People always get this idea in their head that like older movies are pretentious because like they're all about the art. And it's like, but no, there were people who were dealing with real life stuff like James Whale, who I mean, I think is a brilliant director. And you can see it in both those movies. He also did The Invisible Man, which I've never seen, but Mm -hmm. really want to check that out. I think even more so now to kind of understanding the platform that he was trying to get on, knowing that if people knew about him, he wouldn't be accepted on there at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's a, two movies about being an outcast and being lonely, not being able to be yourself, being a mag- mag- amalgamation. Amalgamation. I can't say amalgamation. Amalgamation of other things to present yourself as something else. You know, I think these were things that were speaking to him, but he couldn't really put the fine point on it. And he kind of does in Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Which I mean, it's such a it's such a jarring movie. I mean, that that whole movie just really sticks with you. It just I I mean, and I think it's why it it set the tone so much for every horror movie that came with after after it. You look at like the Hammer movies. They had to know they're like, we can't be anything like that. They spawned a crap ton of sequels. Definitely. Like a. 
I know one of the first Dracula movies they did, they were worried about it coming off as humorous and like the Universal Monsters. And I think it opens with like a shot of the Dracula coffin and it's zooming in. And you see like the words Dracula, it's got ominous music. And then they just drop a bunch of blood on top. And it's like that hammer, bright reddish orange blood. And it's just like, no, this isn't going to be the Universal Monster. We're taking it to the next level. Here. Yeah. Can I make an admission to you? Huh. I've never seen a Hammer movie. I've only seen the Christopher Lee Dracula. That is it. But okay. those are ones I want to explore because that is kind of like the next level. I've seen a lot of universal horror. And I've seen a lot of 70s and 80s horror. Yeah. I haven't ex- explored like that late 60s, 70s horror. And it's something kind of disturbing about those 70s and 80s horror where it just it felt like it, it had to somehow get so far away from what uh, like the Universal movies were back in the 30s and they had to be gorier. They had to be more out there like Dario Argento's movies, which I don't think he's ever made a sequel, but they all kind of feel intrinsically part of one another. Mm. They are just kind of weird and they're out there and they're just like they use blood in such a bright way. Definitely. And yeah. I mean, it's just like there's a, there's an art to it that I think today's horror is trying to do something so much different. Not in a worse way, necessarily. I think horror movies today, I mean, and I think this is why I like a lot of the one-offs, because they are so much more, like, they they have something to say. It kind of goes back to that whole thing we were talking about with, like, the social commentary. Like, you have a horror movie, you have an opportunity to speak to, like, grief in a different way. We see that in Babadook, talk to me, you know, and, like, I don't know. It's something that they're trying to do something different because everybody's done the gory, gory movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. And uh, it wasn't really like a theme to the movie song, but Babadook dropped a track off their, the album in score that I think it's more of like a uh, instrumental musical piece, but it was one of the first like tracks from a horror movie like we talked about Lost Boys where I'm, I'm throwing it on like this is this is a banger. Oh, I, I can't even think what the song is from the Babadook. Oh, not the Babadook from Talk To Me. Oh, yeah. And Talk To Me, it's that scene where they're uh, without spoiling too much when they're first using the hand. It's a montage and it's like a throwback 20s French thing. Oh, with yeah. Like a, a Caravan Palace style music. And that track, I'll send it to you later. Throw that on and just give it a listen because it's very cool. Yeah. I mean, while Talk to Me doesn't have a sequel, it's definitely a movie that if you can handle horror, it's worth it. It signed up for a sequel. Is that right? Mm -hmm. It. There is a story to be told with that world, but I just want them to be delicate. What if it was a foot? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Oh, man. But I think getting back to the 70s and the 80s, because we looked at the original Halloween, too. And and I mean the Halloween sequel to the first movie. And it was trying to do something different. It tried to change the environment and still make it kind of a stalker type movie. Mm -hmm. But there's just a I know you brought up like the Rob Zombie one, because now we have three different Halloween twos. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're talking OG Halloween, two. Yeah. Yeah, that one is interesting because it's a sequel. John Carpenter, I believe, comes back. He either writes it or directs it. He doesn't do both. I think, yeah, he might have just helped write it. And the thing with that one is it's a direct response, as these sequels are, to not the first Halloween. It's actually more a response to the Friday the 13th movies, Mm. as in it's adding the set piece kills. 
Like there's a, like a hot tub in a hospital in the second one where like I'm pretty sure he just like cranks up the heat and then like shoves someone down into it, which is not a Halloween one kill. That is a Friday the 13th kill. Yeah, for sure. And it just feels like the Halloween franchise. I mean, it's, it's, history repeats itself, but it it found things that were good and then it just started to really go down a slippery slope i don't love michael myers the the demonic possession or whatever Mm -hmm. the embodiment of evil i like him as just a very like strange dangerous dude that you just like he's just out there you know Mm -hmm. and Four and five are so bad. (laughs) I would agree with that. And, you know, I like my stuff. I like six, though. Is six H2O? No, that's the seventh one. Six is kind of the in-between those two, and they're trying to, like, tie it all together, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't work. I just like it because it's a 90s Halloween movie. Sure. But, I mean, H2O is also a 90s movie, as we Mm -hmm. talked about before. Um and it definitely has all those feels because I think there's still something different between because didn't Curse of Michael Myers? That's the sixth one, right? Yes. So that one came out in like 95. Yes. It's the last one that Donald Pleasance is in. Yeah. And that was kind of the end of his run. But that was still when they were like, oh, Michael's like niece is like. Right. They're still playing a lot, little with that because I think she died. She like gives birth to like Michael's kid. Or something. Ew. <laughs> yeah, ew. You know? And then she dies in pregnancy, and it's the baby goes to a new family, and it's Michael going after the family, as well as this druid cult or whatever. And then, yeah, Seven is kind of like the first, we're going to ignore some of these, and we're going to do a sequel to, I guess, one and two. Right. And that's when they bring back Jamie Lee Curtis, and this is... A response to the Kevin Williamson Scream movies. I know what you did last summer, and it feels like that. It feels like a teen beat Halloween movie. Yeah. And I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah, right. But then they lose the, uh, was it not Halloween Resurrection? Halloween Resurrection, which is the one with Buster Rhymes. Yeah. Which again, but that's the kind of movie you throw on on like Halloween or on October 30th when you got nothing to do and you have a good time. I suppose. I never really liked it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, Buster Rhymes does karate against Michael Myers, and we don't talk about that enough. No, we don't. I mean, obviously, the the counterattack against Michael Myers is to know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's so funny to even think about that, too, that they did already try this, like, recall idea of, like, let's trim out the fat. And then they're like, let's do it again mm-hmm. <laughs> in 2018, with, um, which is crazy to think it's only been five years since that first like of the David Gordon Green ones, which we talked about a little bit last time. But I guess it does count in the same category here. It's a requel because it's technically the reiteration of Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we did skip over uh, what's interesting about the Halloween ones is the Halloween three, which is another one you need to see the season of the witch, Wish, has no Michael Myers and it just has, uh, it's just kind of a story that is Halloween vibes. Yeah. And what are good. they called? The silver sharks or something? Silver Samrock. That's it. Yeah. It's a, uh, company that makes Halloween masks in a town and the Halloween masks end up having some sort of power over the wearers that happens on October 31st. 
Weird. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Carpenter does the score, and I think Tommy Lee Walsh directs it, who was like the, I think maybe the DP oh, on okay. Halloween. So it's like one of Carpenter's guys. It feels like a lesser Carpenter. Sure. And that's like a plus to me. <laughs> but yeah, but doing Season of the Witch, it's like, I mean, you could name any of these horror movies, right? It'd be like doing Friday the 13th. Well, I say without Jason, but that is the first one, mm-hmm. <laughs> which that's the that's the the first scary movie trivia that uh, Drew Barrymore gets wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Jason. It was his mother. <laughs> I um, I do remember getting into the Friday the 13th movies for a bit. And then as things kept progressing, I was like, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, I, my thing with those are I like one, mm-hmm. two, three, and six. And then I like the remake they did a lot. Yeah. It was like the 2013 or whatever, maybe 20, maybe like 2011. Okay. I thought that was actually pretty good. And I also like Freddy vs. Jason. I mean, come on. That's a good time. I mean, Freddy vs. Jason, I think, is the exact, like, it was, like, of the moment. Like, we need a fun movie. We need a, a fun concept. And it was, like, why not put these two guys against each other? Yeah. And I was in eighth grade. I got I got to sneak into it. And I saw it. It was perfect timing for it. Yeah. But I think Friday the 13th is maybe, like, the perfect example of, like, Going to schlock, like, very Definitely. quickly. Yeah, and it just, I think by the time you get to three, they're pretty forgettable. And then, like, seven is just a straight-up carry ripoff, because it's a late, it's a young woman with teleconnect powers, and it's like, what if Carrie versus Jason? Oh, is that it? What is it? I have no idea. See, you didn't get far enough. You can give him a chance. I watched Jason Takes Manhattan, and that was probably Ooh, the limit. See, that's like one of the, that and Jason Goes to Hell are, like, the worst, worst. I always stand by the one to watch if you're going to just want to watch like a 80s slasher movie is uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, which still doesn't have the Jason mask. It's him with the pillowcase yep. over his head and his this. eyeball. And that enough is just scary. <laughs> like this uh, guy with a pillowcase on his head, it goes back to you like with saying what makes you afraid of Halloween. To me, the hockey mask is goofy. This just having a bag over your head is scary shit. I mean, and a lot of people play with like weird masks and stuff, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we do see a little bit of that in what are those movies called? Uh, the Hills Have Eyes, or not The Hills Have Eyes? It's like The Strangers. Yes, there's some weird masks in those. Yeah, I mean, there's something like if you get the weirder the mask, the the more uncomfortable I feel. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I always did want though going back to Freddy vs. Jason. I did want to see the Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash. Oh yeah, that was always talked about. Yeah, which I mean, I think it's a good chance to talk about Evil Dead is like the perfect example of a franchise that doesn't necessarily degrade. It evolves in a way that it completely genre shifts from one to the other. Because the first one's an out and out horror movie, but then the second one is very much the example of here is this dark humor that we're going to kind of like create like the the tone of what evil dead is going to be mm-hmm. plus building the lore of like there's like the whole there's like memories in the book and it's just ash in the past <laughs> but and then you get to army of darkness which is just an action horror movie right yeah i don't know i i love the evil dead franchise and it's such a fun romp because i think it's you're always going to get something different and unexpected from the previous one Mm-hmm, yeah, it definitely changes each time. I feel two is like 
kind of a remake of one, but then it injects all that humor, so it feels different enough. And then three is very much doing like uh, he wanted to do stop motion Harryhausen skeletons, like in uh, Jason the Argonauts. Yeah, and he was playing around with that, and it does continue to build the lore. And we've been talking about a lot of sequels. And I have something abstractly to talk about with sequels. So oh. a big thing with Halloween is Halloween candy. Mm. Right? And one of my favorite Halloween candies is the small, fun size of Skittles. Sure. So I have here the sequel to Skittles. What? That I found in the store. This is this is a rebrand, redone, new team. These are Freeze-dried Skittles. What? What? Okay. Explain. So I got a bag here. It's from, uh, so it's a small business in Milwaukee. We'll shout them out. Trinity Freeze-dried Goods or uh, Freeze-dried Treats. And uh, the freeze-dry candy and other snacks. And I don't know what it does to them. I've never had this. I would think if you freeze-dry a Skittle... Maybe it would just be a little more like taffy. Well, we're about to find out. Let's uh, this is a little exclusive surprise here. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm ready to crunch into a couple of these. All right, if I can get the bag open, I'll go ahead. So, this is sweet and sour. Got it. You just start with one here, and you can tell if it's a clean sheen, it's probably a sweet. If there's a little bit of dust on it, it's probably a sour. Got it. I'm so, gonna- what's interesting about these, we'll have to take a picture of these, Fred. Is that they are, um, it almost looks like the Skittles exploded. Mm-hmm. Like they look like a cream puff. It, it, the sugar is all in the middle. You have a look. Did you get a sour one? They're not too sour. It's more just what it is. It, it's something you got to get in there. All right. I'm going to give it a shot. Give it a shot. I'm going to, I'll talk while you try yours. I'm watching Tom. He's thinking. He doesn't know what he's thinking. Hmm. Oh. It's almost like a corn pop. It is. It takes away the like hardness of it and it just it's almost yeah, it's almost like a piece of popcorn or corn pop. Yeah, I was almost going to say it was more like a runt. Like that's what I remember. Yes. It's kind of like more like airy. I got to say I almost rather I think I almost would rather eat those cuz they're less like chewy. So I think my one issue with Skittles is sometimes they kind of get stuck in your teeth a little bit. But like with those, they just sort of like you just crunch into them and then they just kind of dissolve in your mouth. I don't know why I thought they would get rubbery, but no, they just got very airy. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I, I would be interested to try. I would almost want a sampler pack of different candies. Yeah, in here. for sure. Because I don't think I would sit here and eat a bunch of them, but I like to whip these out for people now. Like, I might hold on to these just to be like, you should try these. Absolutely. I mean, that's a very fun pack. What was the name of the company again? Uh, It is Trinity Freeze Dried. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Maybe maybe we can tag them and they'll send us, like, a sampler bag or yeah, something. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Please support our show. Yeah. We'll, we'll advertise. <laughs> um. We talked a little bit so about like genre changing because I think Evil Dead is a fun example. I think even with the remakes that we've had, and I think the f- one with Fetty Alvarez was in fact a remake. We were talking about that earlier. Um, but I think one of the franchises that really 
makes me wonder, like, does are these actually horror movies when you move on with them, is Alien. Right. That's one that definitely changes shapes and almost genres throughout the whole thing. I still think it keeps horror in the back pocket, but it definitely shifts through different movies yeah because again first alien is an out and out horror right like you have the idea of this alien that's stalking people but then the second one is straight up an action movie Mm. and i mean i guess you could call it an action horror if you want because there's still some spooky parts in it right and you see bill Paxton freaking out at the end. Game Game over. Charge, man. (laughs) Game over, man. It's game over. (laughs) It's, uh, I don't know. They only come out at night, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but it definitely is a franchise where I think you first get, yeah, the horror movie, you get like a very action one, and then you get a third one that's sort of indecisive on then what it wants to do. It's like, do we want to go back to being horror? Which it kind of tries to do, but then it sort of arms them with like little like home alone traps. And the studio was like, no guns. We can't have guns. here." <laughs> and you get three very notable auteurs each giving a spin on this. Although the third one did not get mm-hmm. <laughs> quite the name of it. Cause we had Ridley Scott doing the first James Cameron doing the second. And we had David Fincher doing the third one. And you do see a little bit of their imprint on each of those, but on the surface, it doesn't feel like aliens should have worked. Uh, well, you know, he did go into that boardroom. <laughs> With the dollar <laughs> sign? He, he put alien, he added the S, and then he put the lines through the S. And he said, any questions? <laughs> <laughs> I want that story to be true so much. But we just know it's not like that. I don't, I, I could see it not being true, but also, like, if you, like, you know hear quotes from Cameron and see the kind of guy is. I could see him doing that, but doing it in like the most asshole way possible. Yeah. You idiots get it? <laughs> yeah. But I think, it, it, I don't know. I it, He's not wrong though. It's like, if you want to make a sequel to Alien, like what are you going to do? You need to add more. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know. It's, but it definitely explores a lot of those themes that you like to see where it's like, okay, what are you going to do? What's the next step in the story? How do you escalate alien that stalks and it's kind of the same problem that like halloween ran into well, we can't multiply my michael myers but in aliens you can <laughs> saw all those eggs <laughs> yeah so it's like and then you get like this whole crew that's kind of out to to hunt down these different aliens and it's just like a shoot em up but yeah i guess then the third one fincher was so strung by the studio i don't feel like we ever really got his vision yeah yeah definitely i think that was probably the biggest problem with it there's stuff in three but i i always say for like those sequels i like i like four a lot yeah resurrection right yes and that had the director remind me who it was again all i know is he's french and he directed amelie jean jean p (laughs) jean p johnny p he directed amelie come on that's imagine two different movies like (laughs) then other than that uh let's see alien resurrection looks like his name was jean pierre Jeannot. Yeah. I might be mispronouncing it. No, that sounds right. J-E-U-N-E-T. But, or Jeanette, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, But I think I've never seen Resurrection all the way through. I just know that it's like Ridley gets cloned. Ripley, not Ridley. A lot of Brad Dourif in there. Brad Dourif's in Resurrection too? Yes. Come on. What is this guy not in? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. He's good stuff. He is good. Yeah, I mean... 
the alien franchise and then we obviously get these prequels with some very lesser successful sequels in the prometheus and was it just alien covenant was there anything yeah prometheus and covenant and then now we're getting another alien yes directed by fetty alvarez the director of evil dead which ridley scott has commented is Fun and very badass or something like that. Interesting. Which I think you do need something different for Alien because it felt like Prometheus, for what it was, was interesting. Covenant just felt like mm-hmm. we're trying to redo Aliens. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like Covenant. I like Prometheus, but I don't like Covenant. Yeah. Prometheus has stuff. It has mm-hmm. Fastbender mainly. Mm-hmm. But um, but Covenant has two and you're like too many. Yeah. That's true. You're like, oof, I just want that one alien. <laughs> yeah. You only got a little taste of the alien at the end of the first, or Prometheus. Mm-hmm. That's It's one of those, like, you can't go in thinking you're getting a bunch of alien stuff. You gotta go in like, oh, this is a movie in the world of alien. Hey, yeah. I might get some alien in there. An example of where the lore kind of got weird. I wouldn't have expected him to chase down. Here's the first guy that was, like, got his chest burst out of, and, like, that's a <laughs> race of, like, godlike beings. It's like... Mm-hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we have to rewatch all the aliens to get the tie-ins. Um, but yeah, I guess from there, though, you do see other franchises to various degrees of success, you know, try these different things. I mean, the only other one that I think was a big one that I wanted to talk about because there was such a huge gap between them was The Shining and Dr. Sleep. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, obviously, The Shining had its own internal detractors because Stephen King was like, this is not my book. Mm-hmm. Which is so much that he directed his own miniseries. Stephen King directed that? I'm pretty sure he was the director of, like, at least the bulk of it. The TV? Yes, TV he had movie? a very heavy hand in the TV movie with Stephen Weber. Right. Which, like, Weber was, he was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, Weber also feels more like the book, because it's like a guy, and you're seeing, like, him getting ruined by alcohol, and Weber seems like a guy who could play that. Right. Well, I think the biggest criticism Stephen King always had with The Shining was that it doesn't feel believable that Jack Nicholson is an everyman that would go crazy. Like He <laughs> right. looks like somebody that, like, you look at him the wrong way and he'll kill you. <laughs> well, yeah, he looks like he's going to stab the hotel guy, like, in that meeting in the first <laughs> if he says the wrong thing. Yeah, exactly, which I think, but I think it's just, like, when Jack Nicholson goes off the edge, you b- believe him right. as somebody who is a murderous lunatic. But I think when you look at a movie like Doctor Sleep, it had various degrees of success because it had a guy who I think understood Stephen King very well with Mike Flanagan directing mm-hmm. it. Oh, definitely. This is his second attempt at a Stephen King adaption. He did the other adaption that people said was going to be impossible, which it's the names leaving me, but it's the one where the woman is tied up to the bed. Oh, Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game. That is another... Stephen King book that people said would be impossible to make as a movie, and he did it very well. It was for Netflix, so no one watched it. Yeah, but watched uh, it it's good. It's it's upsetting, but really good. Yeah, because he ke- keeps getting his people. He's got Henry Thomas, and he's got Carlo Gugino in there. And, and who's the who's the guy? Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, who you know is in all these. Yeah, Bruce Greenwood, who is oh, he's. He's somebody else and something else. Just in general, or are we talking in the Flanagan universe? Like, I, I think he's kind of known for 
a certain movie series, isn't he? Um, am I thinking of this race person? I know he's in Star Trek, but I thought I thought he was in like I might be thinking of uh, RoboCop. What's that actor's name who plays RoboCop? Peter Weller. Yes, I think that's the person I'm thinking of. Never mind. Bruce Green was just a dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a good dude. He's a great dude. Yeah. Yeah, from the first episode of The Fall of the House Usher I watched, he's killing it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I still need to watch more of that. I've only seen, like, the first ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> There's more, and it's good. <laughs> I mean, you could call Mike Flanagan's TV shows a sequels in themselves, even though they aren't really tied in the same universe. It's kind of a little, he's like, uh, where he has his troop of actors, and it gives it that feeling of sameness, it's almost. A, it's a more tolerable American horror story. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I and not, not to throw shade at anybody in American Horror Story, I just don't think the stories are very good. I, I think one and three are good, and the rest suck. Yeah. Oh, it's three, the Coven one? Yes. Stevie I mean, Nicks. Coven was great. Oh. I feel like I fell off of that. I was so in on it early on, but the one, the first season was just so good. Uh, yes. I, I think, yeah, one, three, and then it kind of fell off after that for yeah. me. Yeah. But and th- two was really bad, which was like. A big thing. Yeah, the, the asylum And just one. the subject matter felt gross. I think everything about that aged terribly, yeah. But getting back to Mike Flanagan, though, and Dr. Sleep, I mean, he had a very unenviable task of making a sequel to one of the most renowned horror movies, one of my all-time favorites. I mean, Stanley Kubrick, because obviously did a lot to that movie, but he had to make a sequel to that movie based on a book that was still also written by Stephen King with the whole knowledge and the fallout from Mm -hmm. what The Shining turned out to be. Right. Yep. And he made a sequel to both, and I think he was pretty successful with it because The Shining, the the Kubrick Shining, if you were like, I'm in the mood for a Stephen King adaption and that's where you're coming from, you're not going to pick The Shining because that doesn't feel like a Stephen King book at all. Right. It definitely lifts from it. There's a lot of stuff that happens, but the feeling's not there. Whereas I think Dr. Sleep feels the most like a Stephen King book compared to some books. Yeah. Because it feels almost more like how Frank Darabont approaches to adaptations. I think it feels like a Green Mile or even a Shawshank. I'm not talking about quality. I'm talking about how the story is told. It's not told from a point of view of horror. Right. Well, and I think, yeah, you're exactly right. Because I think one of the the gifts that Mike Flanagan and Frank Darabont both have is that I think they are very good at interpreting King. I think Stephen King's a good storyteller. He's not necessarily the most gifted, well, or maybe vice versa. He's a good writer. He's not the most gifted like storyteller as far as like finding yeah beginning middle and end yeah exactly (laughs) but I think one of the gifts yeah that Darabont and Flanagan both have is they both can find out where the story should have gone and kind of take some liberties (laughs) for sure I was just laughing because have you heard like John Mulaney like talk about how like Stephen King writes no because like Stephen King when he like writes a book he'll be like. He drove a black Cadillac, you know, the type, type with the wheels on all sides, <laughs> spinners on that. He was listening to the radio, one of those Creedence Clearwater songs, you know, the ones. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And like, that's why he's such a good writer. It's like that lulling in and world building, but he's not a finisher. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Dark Tower. We could talk about the Dark Tower, I guess, theoretically. That is a horror series that has sequels of books. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I do want to save a lot of our thoughts on it for a dedicated Dark Tower episode. Yes, definitely. Especially because I think within a year we're going to have an announcement that Mike Flanagan is going to be doing the Dark Tower. I have high hopes that that's going to happen. I mean, if there's a TV series, I think we are best served to save our thoughts for that. But I think when you look at that book series in in a vacuum here right now, you do have a lot of stories that each kind of have their own flavor. You have like the first one is very much a, you know, kind of a chase movie or mm-hmm. a chase story. Like the the second one is very much kind of like a get the band together. The third one is very much like, you know, going to this like out like wasteland right mm-hmm. and in the fifth one you have like out and out like a like a fucking cowboy movie. well it's like a seven is it seven samurai yeah yeah it's like exactly what it is it's yeah they're like mm-hmm. whole, like defending the town yeah there was nothing that gave me more juice than reading the fifth one where they go to this town and pretty much the fifth one is they come to a town there's a problem in the town. They're going to fix it. And there's a point in the book. I'm getting chills just because uh-huh. I like it. Where, like, they roll up and they hear the spiel. And Roland, like, gets them, who's the main antagonist, gets them in a huddle. And he's like, yo, this is a quest. Are we going to do this? This is the thing. And I just remember being like, this is rocking right now. Yeah. That book hit for reasons that I don't know how it worked. I, but it did it like, and like some of the lore that they had started building on from the previous books was actually like making sense. It's theoretically the direct sequel to the third book. Cause the fourth one is a prequel. Right. But yeah, I mean, bringing man. back father Callahan from Salem's lot too, is another big piece of it, which is super cool. Yeah. Which is another story I have not read or watched. It's his second novel. It's slow, it's but really, yeah. But it's really good. I really like Sam's Lot. Something else they're gonna try to adapt again. But yeah. I really like the TV version. But you could argue, in a way, the Dark Tower makes the case that every Stephen book, Stephen King book, is connected mm-hmm. or story is connected because they play with the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it has a multiverse and a cinematic universe, right? Or whatever you want to call it, a universe, and then it does have the like larger universe right because yeah it's like the the story is like justifying like the monster in it and it's justifying the powers that we explore in the shining and it's justifying like the fallout of the stand and mm-hmm. it's just like you you see all these different like webs being weaved throughout here and you're like whoa okay so yeah and then we do get a character from literally salem's lot mm-hmm. or um what's the what's the rick flag no not rick flag. randall flag randall flag that's mm-hmm. it rick flag is uh suicide squad <laughs> 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 that's uh joel kidman right from <laughs> Um, uh, for all her name's high. Katana. She's got my back. <laughs> her sword caps. <laughs> her sword traps the victims of her. I can't even. I used to be able to do the whole thing. You know what sucks is Joel Kinnaman. I mean, I think he's actually pretty good in the James Gunn Suicide mm-hmm. Squad. He's really good in For All Mankind. <laughs> it's just like I don't know what happened. That another case of just DC messing around. He just serves like American like hero, whether it's astronaut or warrior. <laughs> Have you seen the trailer for that movie where it's called like Silent Night? Oh, like, I sent you the trailer for that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah, new yeah, John yeah. John Woo's first American film in like twenty years or so. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, picking up off MI two, another sequel, but not a horse sequel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to MI one day. Uh, but yeah, just to put a cap on, I think you know Stephen King and everything. It's a definitely. Um, I mean, stories that persevere because they have interesting story 
premises. And I think Dr. Sleep, well, I think I agree with you. It was successful in being having the unenviable task of having to be a sequel to both the book and the movie. It also, I think, suffered from having to try and do those things. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't quite as good as it could have been. Yep. I think its fault is it didn't work for fans of just The Shining. Yeah. And I don't it was I don't know how it could have. This is kind of the thing. <laughs> I just didn't really know what to make of that movie. Heads or tails. And I think the I would like to read Doctor Sleep the book. That's the only thing I haven't done in that whole thing yet. Mm-hmm. Which is like why I'm I have I don't know. I don't know if I it's a bad spot or a good spot, but that's why I'm very pro it because I read the book and it's a good adaption. But shouldn't it work on its own is a question. Whether it should work as a direct sequel to The Shining, I don't know if it necessarily has to. Yeah. But does that make it more successful? Yes. I mean, when you put Danny Torrance, though, as the main character, you kind of have to, like, tie it back. Mm -hmm. I I do feel like, though, there are things in that universe that, I mean, it's interesting. It's things I would like to see picked up on in The Dark Tower if they have the time to really stretch their wings, maybe start glossing over some of the crap about putting Stephen King in the actual story. (laughs) No, I want him in it, and I want him played by Bill Hader. Oh, my gosh. Actually, that would be good. Who was in It? Exactly. Another, Another sequel and two iterations that I think are very... Uh, we, we had a question, I think, in our group chat uh, that we were in the other day where it was like, do we watch the original made-for-TV It or the movie It with uh, Bill Skarsgård? And I'm honestly on the fence. Where do you fall on that now? Well, I'm not. I'm the worst person to ask because I'm like both. So yeah. you can compare and take notes. <laughs> no, no. It, it's your vibe. It all depends. Like, do you want like a more modern retelling that's going to be more faithful to the book? Or do you want some like 80s throwback horror? Like, do you want Tim Curry serving? Like, yeah. I think like the right answer might be some kind of machete order in the future, though, too, of like, I think I like as much as I was very excited about the casting of the adults for the new movie, I kind of prefer the performances in the old one. Mm -hmm. And I think, but as far as the kids, I think they cast really good kid actors in the movie version and they were just okay in the TV. Yes, definitely. Well, I mean, I liked uh, Jason Ritter. Yeah, yeah. I liked him, but everyone else is kind of forgettable. Yeah, a little bit. But John Ritter isn't John he? Ritter. That's who I meant. Jason yeah. Ritter is the son who is in Freddy vs. Jason. Ah, that's right. <laughs> he is. Yeah, I mean, I think I like, yeah, I would, if I were to watch him again, I would love to watch like the first half with, um, yeah, all like the, the new kids with Bill Skarsgård, and now I'd watch the second mm-hmm. half. Just because I love, like, this is battery ass. And I feel like the second It movie, the new one, doesn't work well as a movie. It works well as, like, a Stephen King love letter. And I do like it for that reason, but I agree it doesn't hold up. It doesn't work well with the first one, but I enjoy It Part 2 when it has these flights of fancies with the lore of Stephen King and just lives in it and has him in it for a scene. Like I liked that stuff, but I agree. That's not what a successful sequel needed. Yeah. And I think here's the question for you though, too, on this. And I think this is a question we're going to be asking with Dune. Do you treat these truly as two separate movies or are they really the same story? Like, you know what I mean? Because Mm. 
yes, it takes place in the future. Yes, it's there is a very even divide, and that's why they did the same thing with the TV movie. Like it's like okay, right? We have a very even split between very focused on the kids and very focused on the adults. But like, I I mean, it's one story. It's all in the some. Right. book <laughs> yeah i would say if i had to choose i would say i would pick the audiobook read by steven weber oh weber again huh oh so good that's one of the best audiobooks i've ever listened He's to because he guy. puts it all in wow that's fun i i didn't realize he was such a he, Stephen king he's guy. a stephen king audiobook guy and will Patton, the the cop from the 2018 halloween and the coach from remember the titans not Denzel oh. Washington. He reads Doctor Sleep, and he's a really good oh, King audiobook because he's got a little bit of a Southern. Even though King's not Southern, there's something about it. Like he's got a folksy voice. That's what I'll say. He does have a folksy voice, and he kind of talks like that mm-hmm. sometimes too, or he I, writes like that. I would recommend that to you if you're an audiobook guy. Listen to the Will Patton reading uh, Doctor Sleep. I like listening to Will Patton because he just kind of always has like his little like he's not quite talking as loud as he can. But he's really into it. I'm not big <laughs> on Will Patton. I like him. Yeah, he's good in uh, Minari, if you saw that. I didn't see Minari. Yeah. Is that the one with Dev Patel? No, um, that's the one with Steven Young. Oh, yes, yes, with the farm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, that was called Minari, right? I'm like, not Minari. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of another movie that came out that year with Dev Patel. Oh, oh. No. You know the one I'm thinking of, but just can't. You know the one. <laughs> you know the, you know the tab. <laughs> you know the tab. Where Dev Patel's in it. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I did want to talk about before we start moving on uh, to our coulda, woulda, shoulda is that we also talked about some games this month, Fred. And we haven't talked a lot about games. We've been very focused on movies, and we started talking about books here. But Resident Evil obviously had a lot of sequels that had various degrees of success. Horror does stretch quite into games now, and there's a lot of sequels. I mean, do you have any favorites that are, like, favorite horror game sequels? Uh, I remember The Suffering 2. Did you ever play The Suffering game? I've never heard of that, no. Oh, The Suffering is a guy in prison. It was, like, Xbox... And pretty much, like, phantom crazy forces are attacking the prison. Very much like Shawshank, but, like, demons and ghosts are attacking it. I remember really enjoying both The Suffering and The Suffering 2. As far as horror sequels, though, it's got to be just those late Resident Evils. uh, Village and Biohazard for me. Alan Wake 2 drops tomorrow, though. It does, which is very in time with this episode dropping. Mm-hmm. So at the time of our recording, it drops tomorrow. It'll be out by the time people are listening to yes. it. But yeah, I definitely want to revisit Alan Wake 1 and play 2. Um, do you ever play Little Nightmares? Uh, I played a little bit of it. That's uh, It's based off like the Henry Selleck stuff, right? He's- I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I never... I got very briefly into two the first one was very good very creepy and very stressful (laughs) right but it's it's a fun story um and one i've wanted to always go back to and i'm kind of waiting for the remake at this point but silent hill 2 is arguably the best i mean some people say it's like one of the best video games period i've never played but i am very looking forward to this remake so i can play it yeah and i think my understanding is you don't have to play Silent Hill one to understand. Good, yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty pretty self contained. Um, but yeah, I think the only other games that I was thinking about was uh, the Fatal Frame games were pretty popular back in the day, and I remember 
I have a story from like Blockbuster. I was like looking for something scary. And and I was like, oh, maybe I'll get these fatal frame. I heard like, you know, you take pictures of ghosts or whatever. And I remember I took it up to the checkout. This guy goes, you sure about this? And I was like, I was like with my mom, I had to rent it. And she's like, what? And he's like, oh, this is like one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Like more than some movies. And she's <laughs> like, well, you're putting that back. And I was like, no. Oh my gosh, <laughs> dude. What are you doing? He was, I mean, he was trying to look out for me thinking that it would be too much, but I, it's still on my list. I think it's called Fatal Frame 2, like Crimson Butterfly, potentially. Sounds good. It. I mean, it basically is. You're just like, I think you are like a, a twin sister and you are just like going um, around like a haunted house and like you're trying to capture ghosts on, on film, but there is... I mean, I think it's a lot of jump scares, like whatever they come out. So, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. That I, sounds good, though. I'd I'd mess with that. Yeah, Fatal Frame Two, Crimson Butterfly. Oh, it's two sisters. They are they are twin sisters. They try to escape a haunted village with the help of Camera Obscura. Ooh. Sounds right up your alley, Fred. Yeah, that's something I would definitely play. Uh, I definitely liked the Evil Within sequel. That was good. Oh, I never played either of those. Yeah, I think you should check those out. Those are fine. I think it's like Last of Us meets Resident Evil. That's how I describe oh, it. Oh, interesting. Are they like more zombies? survival based? They, there's weird zombie-like things. Oh, is it kind of like Amnesia? I I've tried never to play played Am- Amnesia. I tried to play Amnesia, which does have sequels too. I was getting a little creeped out by Amnesia. I I've realized video games sometimes are too too integrated especially if it's first person mm-hmm. i am like i don't like the feeling that i'm in the story i want <laughs> i want to watch somebody else deal with this then stuff. maybe you might not like dead by daylight but i like that because i you get the adrenaline like you're being chased and- yeah i don't know i i'm a little bit of a scary cat sometimes with that stuff. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to our uh, next podcast episode which i'll i'll talk about at the end but for now i think we can get into our coulda woulda shoulda segment what, I guess, what would you like to see from sequels now for franchises? And I think you actually posed a very good question. Let me read it verbatim, not just try to <laughs> parse through it here. But it was, like, what horror franchises are ready for a sequel? Maybe kind of like we just saw with these recent ones that were done for, like, Evil Dead, Exorcist. <laughs> which is not the new exorcist has not gotten good reviews and something else just got like a brand new sequel didn't it I'm trying to think like it's like a big franchise too the nun two i mean yeah i think that's <laughs> that's definitely one because that's falls in the conjuring we didn't even talk about the conjuring yeah conjuring one and two are good they are three sucked i thought yeah i didn't like three i mean it's conjuring I like the movies. They're not like my favorites. So I think my favorite part of the Conjuring movies is when Patrick Wilson just whips out the guitar and plays some uh, Elvis in the second one. <laughs> I think that's probably my favorite part. We could do a whole Patrick Wilson appreciation <laughs> podcast. I'm like, I'm actually looking forward to seeing him in Aquaman too. Assuming that movie doesn't get torpedoed by terrible PR. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, you know, what What are franchises you would like to see? I think it's time for Freddy to come back. Oh, new nightmare. I want to see Freddy come back. Mm. Now, you, I, Robert England said he's done, right? Like, I think he right. came out and was like, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, and uh, I don't think it necessarily needs to have him. 
I just think someone needs to create a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that has cool set pieces, has a little bit of dark humor, and is visually trippy. Yeah. Get the guy who made Mandy to make it. Oh. I saw Mandy's playing at uh, Oriental Theater coming up here. Oh, man. The trailer was playing when I was there last night, and I was like, I am ready. I think I need to see this in the theater. <laughs> mm, it's a great Nick Cage performance. I would not mind seeing, um, not because I, I heard this Five Nights at Freddy's movie is not good. I'd love to see that Willy's Wonderland get a sequel. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember having a fun time with that. I, I just think. Cage doing choices as the silent protagonist was oh definitely so good <laughs> yeah but Freddy coming back would be good I think it's time and uh, this has already been talked about but I know like the Hannibal creator was messing with a like Camp Crystal Lake prequely thing and if mm. he gave it the Hannibal treatment to Friday the Thirteenth I'm like sign me up for that yeah I could get down with that I wouldn't mind it. I think it's just, it's going to be hard to straight up replace Freddy Krueger. Right. And you almost kind of wonder, would you ever want to explore a different pro or antagonist than that? Maybe. I mean, I'm not too particular on Freddy himself, I guess. I just like the idea of someone coming after you and your dreams, that's scary. Like, wouldn't it be something if, like, and I'm not I'm not necessarily thinking this would be it, but what if, like, the character of Nancy becomes, like, the new Freddy? Mm-hmm. Right? And, like, people are dreaming about her. Maybe, like, seems like she's innocent enough, but then she's, like, murdering. Like, she kind of becomes, like, the error. Yeah, I like that. Like, for me, it's the set pieces and the vibes. I'm not yeah. here for just Freddy itself. Yeah, I definitely... I could get down with that. I do like uh, they where you've been watching the new Goosebumps show, and they're definitely injecting a lot of Freddy into it oh, with yeah. the plot. I like that. I definitely, yeah, it's hard to talk because I guess that's, it's not really a sequel, but it's, I mean, it is a follow-up show to mm-hmm. the previous one, which is just telling the regular stories. This one's one long story. It's a, it's a fun show. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I like it. I don't know if I have a franchise that I'm like, God, I'm begging for another sequel because I feel like they just did Halloween. We just got a new Evil Dead. Just got a new, you know what? I know a movie I would want. I want something else in like the Cabin in the Woods universe. Okay. Yeah. And I know like the ending kind of leaves it as like, there really isn't anywhere to go. I could get down with just something that's kind of expansive of maybe there's like the previous iterations where they have to try and get the setups together. Right. A prequel. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah. And they're like trying to figure out, like somebody almost figures out how to break out and get into like that, like facility, but. Mm -hmm. Or it could be like Ghostbusters, but like they're trying to capture all the things to put them in the facility. Oh, I don't need another Ghostbusters sequel. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't be, it would be like Ghostbusters, but different. Like, yeah. It's not like a bunch of dudes, like acting like Joe Schmo. I'm just saying like the idea of like, well, they have this facility with all these monsters. Where are you getting them from? Yeah. Oh, that is an interesting question. We never really get the answer why they are all there and like what they are there for. But it's a, it's such an interesting movie. And I like that it's like, 
it's like the Joss Whedon universe without Joss Whedon having any in influence on it other than he just kind of like gave everybody their starts and he's mm-hmm. hands off on it. Yeah, I really like Drew Goddard's uh stuff. He did that and he did the good time, bad time at the El Rey Royale. Yeah. I love him to do another horror movie. That'd be cool. The Martian too. He was another that was what? a movie. Yeah. It, it would be good to see Goddard do another one. What are some other franchises you would want to see a sequel to? I think we need to get another wolf out there, another wolf man walking around. Mm. And that was always the thing. Rod Ryan Gosling always wanted to do like a low budget makeup based because they tried to. That was the original idea with the Benicio del Toro one done by the guy who did like Nutty, Prof- not Nutty Professor, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first Captain America, um, Joe Johnson, Jumanji. Uh, yeah. The original idea was to do like makeup prosthetics the whole thing and it was like the thing remake where they got scared looking at the dailies and they just digital re-overed everything oh yeah yeah because there's stuff in that del toro of man i like and i think it does well but overall loses it because it becomes a cg fest so i think bring back makeup and bring back wolfman yeah i do kind of like that idea because i do i just like the idea of like a lower one or even like another sequel to american werewolf in london Yes. Like, I mean, is it was American Werewolf in Paris? That, that was technically a sequel to that, right? Yeah. This is not really connecting tissue, but it's like pretty simple. It's the same story, but in Paris in 90s. It's a movie that's not good, but I have a lot of soft spot for it because I had a VHS of it at one point. Oh, I bought sure, it used. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I could see that one. It's hard to think because I feel like they are trying to redo a lot. Yeah, of they're movies. already redoing them all as a thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of horror franchises. Like we talked about, um, like the Babadook. Like I don't never need a sequel to that because there's, there's no reason for it. And like, I guess talk to me. I would have kind of said like, eh, I don't know that I want like that. Like I like that like that and it follows and smile and all that are kind of like are just sort of on like their own, like these self-contained things. Smile could definitely continue on. Oh yeah. Keep, keep smiling. Yeah. Is that the name of it? It's smile. Smile. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's definitely a universe you could build out. Definitely. I don't know. Maybe they will, but they won't. Anything else you want to discuss with us? No, I think I'm ready to throw in some tops. Power rankings. So I think this week, Fred, I'm actually going to throw a curveball at you here last minute. Do it. Instead of doing a top three horror sequels, I'm going to ask for a top five for our 50th episode today. Ooh. What you got? Can they be in not any particular order? Can we keep it loose a little you, bit? You do whatever you need to do. So I'm going to do Bride of Frankenstein just to keep it classy. Yep. And then I'm going to do Scream 5. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do... um. Dream Warriors. Let's see what else I'm thinking. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to throw in uh, Friday Thirteen Part 2. Ooh. I got one more, right? Okay, you had Friday the 13th Part 2. You got Dream Warriors. You had Scream 5. You had, what was the other one? Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein. That was it. Okay. I am going to... Go with Exorcist Part 3. Come on. Oh, get out of here. (laughs) 
I'm going to watch it one day. I'm going to tell you I watched mm-hmm. it. And watch that. Watch The Guest, which I've been I asking. I really need to see that. No, good. Those are good picks. I mean, those are very classic picks. And I think Scream 5 is definitely an interesting ad, and I'm, I'm kind of here for it. I will throw out a couple honorable mentions, though, too, that we didn't get around to talk about because I think they're interesting movies. I did see A Haunting in Venice recently, which kind of counts. What? I know we talked briefly about Branagh with Frankenstein that he did, but it it was it's another one of those Perot movies. Oh, I'm gonna love it, aren't I? I think you're gonna really like it. <laughs> I, I, I had fun coming out of is it. Is Kelly Riley bringing the heat? <sighs> She's good in it. The the I mean, man, there are a couple supporting roles that are really good. There's like a guy who plays a doctor and I. I What's it? Um, Jamie Dornan, the guy from uh, uh, Fifty Shades. Oh yeah, Bar and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Of that fame, <laughs> the second person to bring that up when I mentioned him. Um, but he's he plays a pretty good role in it. There's a he has a son too in that. The, the kid does a really nice job. Nice. I'm excited to plays check it out. Good creepy kid. Uh, the other honorable mentions I'm just going to mention or throw out here because I'm not going to pick these. Because they do kind of play with that genre switcheroo a little bit. Split. Ooh. Um, which was the sequel to Unbreakable. Not a great threequel to that, but mm-hmm. the first two are very good. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yes. I actually, I thought about that before we recorded. That's a good one. Yeah. And I think that's it for the honorable mentions. But I think Ten Cloverfield Lane is like the perfect. I, I like that movie so much more than. <laughs> Cloverfield. But my top five for you, I'm going to agree with you on Bride of Frankenstein. I'm going to take some liberties here on this one because this this is a movie I'm going to argue right now. While it is parodying the genre and everything about it. Here we go. It is technically a sequel when you think about the story and it is young Frankenstein. Yeah, okay. Frankenstein. Frankenstein, because <laughs> think about it, he is the grandson. He is. I watched that very recently. Still good. Still great. It's it's such a tightly written movie. It's mm-hmm. so funny, but it's a sequel. I think you can argue it's a sequel. Oh to yeah, I'll give it to you. To I would have put American Werewolf in London in mine then if that was allowed, since it's a uh, like there's Werewolf of London, which is like a 30s movie, and it's kind of doing that. I'll allow it if you want to put that in, but you got to drop something. Scream 5. Oh, ouch. I thought you were going to get rid of Exorcist 3. I know. I did that just to <laughs> piss you off. Um, number three for me, also number three in the series, Army of Darkness. Nice. Just a, a world changer for me when I saw it. I mean, I love Sam Raimi. I love those movies. They're, they're wonderful. Just crack me up like no other. I was surprised to find out it was a horror sequel. <laughs> uh, Blade 2. Nice. Which we didn't talk about this round. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, the Blade movies are great. I think Blade 2, I mean, Blade counts as a horror series. It is exactly the action horror that we saw talk about with Aliens, right? Mm-hmm. And I just think Blade 2, Guillermo del Toro, it, it is. It's like the, he's taken the the boogeyman and he's made him part of the gang. Like, nice. Yep. And, and Guillermo del Toro is doing Frankenstein, which I'm excited about. Oh, I'm here for it. What was the Frankenstein movie you were talking about recently, though, that like had Oscar Isaac in it? That's the one. It's going to be Oscar Isaac as the monster, Andrew Garfield as the doctor, and uh, X as... <laughs> what's her name? I can't X? 
Mia Goth as the Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Wait, that's Del Toro? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. His dream is like dream project. This is going to roll. Mm-hmm. That's going to be so good. Those are three people that are going to be throwing fastballs, too. For sure. Last but not least, another one I'm taking a little bit of liberty with. Adam's Family Values. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. I have no problem with that. I just... There is something so fun about that movie. It's it weirdly ages so much better than it did even at the time. Oh, for sure. And it moves. It's got good comedy. It's got great comedy. And I mean, like, I loved all the movies we talked about today. All the horror sequels are so fun. Like, I mean, I mean, the ones we talk about are a lot of fun. But Adam's Family Values, I'm like, Adam's Family always follows in horror. You can't disconnect them just mm. because they are such a dark, morbid family. But it's just, I don't know why. Every B-plot in that movie sings. <laughs> I don't know why it works, but it's just, it's people at the top of their game. Like, a good cast. For sure. So I think that does get us to the end of the episode, Fred. We got through it without talking about Beetlejuice 2. That's not as <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. This has been a lot of fun. Definitely. I, I mean, this is these uh, tradition that we're starting with the Halloween episodes. We're 50 episodes in. It is awesome. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up, too. I'm really excited for the next few episodes we already have planned. We're planned already through the end of the year. We're very excited to share with all of you guys. Should we make our announcement, though, in honor of our 50th episode? Let's do it. Do it up. So starting next year, and we, we have not put any parameters on this yet, but we are going to launch our own Patreon. Patreon. where we'll be providing supplement content to the bi-weekly episodes you're getting right now. What that's all going to look like, we're still going to try and figure some of that out yet, but we have a lot of ideas and a lot of exciting ideas that I think we, we're going to be able to get you guys more and more content. So we hope you'll look that up. We'll give you more details as it comes along and how you can subscribe and, and what it's going to look like because I think there's – just some things we've been noodling on that we really want to dive oh, into. Oh, yeah, there's going to be some stuff. There's going to be some stuff. Maybe some horror-related stuff. Ooh. But maybe some other franchise-related <gasps> stuff. Maybe. Mm, I don't know. A lot of things that we haven't had time for. But that being said, the next episode, we're not quite getting out of the dark-themed things. We're kind of taking a... A shortcut on the way out, but maybe seeing one more sight on the way. Yeah, November. you got to ease your way out of the infinity pool. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even have to talk about that movie. Um, we are going to be talking about the Ari Aster. I guess that's the unofficial grief trilogy. Yes. Yeah, which is uh, Hereditary, Midsummer, and Bo is Afraid. I am not looking forward to talking about these. Mm. I, I am, but Hereditary still is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. It's, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. It really, <laughs> really sticks in your craw in like a bad way. Yep, uh, and Bo was afraid, a movie that surprisingly I felt very seen by. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. It's it's definitely movies that you don't have to watch in October, but if you did, you would not feel like you're out of definitely. <laughs> the realm. So 
we'll look forward to talking to you then. Fred, anything else you want to plug, though, before we go? No, just keep, in, keep listening, keep writing in, keep liking, subscribing, and we're just happy that everyone likes the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please leave us a review if you have the time to do it. Let us know that you like the show. Like and subscribe. I don't know if we have been keeping quite up with YouTube, but we are on there. We're going to be putting some more stuff off there. Hopefully more with our Patreon. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, slash X, maybe Blue Sky one day. I don't know. Let's see if I drop a code on that. And uh, yeah, if you want to go to our link tree, you can find other great links there to email us. And if you want to leave a donation, there is a link there as well. And we will see you guys in the next 50 episodes. See ya. Got no cares all I want to do is charge my phone and drive this event to you. And what the talk about will run.